0: The House and Senate are both in recess. The House may return Thursday and Friday. The Senate will return on Tuesday. Last week in the House, the House came back into session on Tuesday evening and immediately took up H. Res. 38, the rule governing floor consideration of H. Res. 21, a resolution calling on Vice President Mike Pence to convene the Trump Cabinet for the purpose of invoking Section 4 of the 25th 25th Amendment to the Constitution, to declare President Trump incapable of executing the duties of his office and to replace him as acting president. The rule passed on a straight party line vote by a vote of 222 to 204. Then the House took up and passed H. Res. 21, calling on the Vice President to invoke the 25th Amendment. That resolution passed by 223 to 205, with one Republican, Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, crossing the aisle to vote with the Democrats. The House came back in on Wednesday morning and took up H.R.E.S. 41, the rule governing floor consideration of H.R.E.S. 24, a resolution to impeach the President. The rule passed on a straight party line vote by a vote of 221 to 203. And then the House took up and considered H.R.E.S. 24, a single article of impeachment against President Trump. The article charged President Trump with incitement of insurrection. The measure passed by a vote of 232 to 197 with 10 Republicans crossing over to vote with the Democrats. The 10 Republicans were Liz Cheney of Wyoming, Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, John Katko of New York, Fred Upton of Michigan, Jamie Herrera-Butler of Washington, Dan Newhouse of Washington, Peter Major of Michigan, Anthony Gonzalez of Ohio, Tom Rice of South Carolina, and David Valadeo of California. And then they were done. This week in the House, as I said, the House Democratic leadership has informed members that there will be a pro forma session on Tuesday afternoon and that the House may be back in session on Thursday and Friday. Last week in the Senate, the Senate did not meet last week. This week in the Senate, after the House voted to impeach President Trump, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell issued a statement declaring that the Senate would not come back before its scheduled return date of Tuesday, January 19. He pointed out that the three previous presidential impeachment trials had taken 83 days, 37 days, and 21 days. And there was no way that President Trump could be expected to receive a fair trial in the six days remaining before he left office as scheduled on January 20. So instead of bringing the Senate back early to try to try the president before Joe Biden is inaugurated, the Senate will return on Tuesday at noon. And then Speaker Pelosi Next will, I'm sorry, and then Speaker Pelosi will determine what happens next, because despite insisting that President Trump had to be impeached because he posed an imminent threat to the safety and security of the republic and therefore had to be removed from office immediately, she still has not transmitted the article of impeachment to the Senate, so much for imminent danger. If she chooses to send the article of impeachment to the Senate, then the Senate is bound to come to a screeching halt and go into trial mode six days a week, beginning at 1 p.m. in the afternoon until the trial is completed. If, however, she chooses to sit on that article of impeachment and hold it for an indeterminate amount of time, then the Senate will go about its business confirming Joe Biden's nominees and moving his initial legislative agenda until such time as the Speaker chooses to transmit that article of impeachment and the trial can begin. Now to the Biden coronavirus relief package. Joe Biden hasn't even been sworn in yet, and already he is announcing multi-trillion dollar spending proposals. On Thursday evening, Biden laid out his plans to spend $1.9 trillion on a new emergency relief package, with the money divided, for the most part, into three big pots. $400 billion devoted to coronavirus testing and vaccine production and delivery, more than a trillion dollars in direct relief to families through increased stimulus payments and increased unemployment insurance benefits, And $440 billion for aid to communities and businesses, which includes $350 billion in emergency funding to state, local, and tribal governments, the blue state bailout most conservatives oppose. The plan also includes lots of items off the Liberals' wish list, including a $15 per hour minimum wage, and, and this could be a real job killer, and end to the separate tipped minimum wage of $2.13 per hour, which allows employers to pay that lower wage to wait staff and bartenders and other tipped employees. In addition, increased unemployment benefits would rise from $300 a week to $400 a week, and those benefits would continue through September rather than the current law endpoint in March. In deciding on the parameters of his new proposal, Biden is said to have pushed back against the liberals on Capitol Hill who wanted him to spend even more. He seems to think he may be able to entice congressional Republicans into joining him in supporting this spending package. Time will tell just how disappointed he's going to be. Now to immigration. Joe Biden and his Democrat colleagues in the House and Senate are readying a serious push to create an amnesty for illegal immigrants and an eight-year path to citizenship. Last Thursday, Biden, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, three Hispanic cabinet nominees, and senior policy advisors met with immigration advocates to outline Biden's immigration agenda. The package contains legislation and executive orders, and apparently wowed the assembled immigration advocates. But Democrats have not yet decided how exactly to push the agenda through Congress. Some suggest they should add to a new coronavirus relief package anything they can in the belief that that bill is likely to move quickly. Others say the subject matter is so important that it should all be included in one giant comprehensive package deserving of its own spotlight. Back to the 20th Amendment. Section 4 of the 25th Amendment to the Constitution opens as follows, quote, Whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide, transmit to the president pro tem of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office, the vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office as acting president, end quote. In the first week of January, Vice President Pence wrongly earned President Trump's disapproval when Pence declared that his reading of the Constitution and the law led him to the belief that, contrary to the President's wishes, he did not have the legal authority to reject electoral votes from particular states. He was not about to take what he believed would be an unconstitutional action. In the second week of January, Vice President Pence wrongly earned disapproval from Speaker Pelosi and House Democrats, who passed a resolution calling on him to gather the Cabinet and invoke the 25th Amendment, when he said he would not do so. He knew the 25th Amendment was enacted for different purposes, and he wasn't about to take what he believed would be an unconstitutional action. Now to an impeachment trial. You may recall that last week I preemptively answered a question I anticipated by saying that, yes, the Senate can try an impeached former officeholder even after he leaves office. In fact, the Senate has already done so. Back in 1876, the Secretary of War in the administration of President Ulysses S. Grant was a man named William Belknap. He was corrupt, and his corruption was discovered. On the day the House gathered to vote to impeach him, he rushed to the White House and handed his resignation to President Grant. But the House voted to impeach him anyway, unanimously, on all five articles of impeachment. A month later, the Senate opened his impeachment trial, which lasted for months. Finally, in August of 1876, the Senate voted on each of the five articles and rendered a majority vote against him on each article. But none of the votes reached the necessary two-thirds threshold, so he was acquitted on all counts. Nevertheless, the president was set. The House can impeach, and the Senate can try, a former office holder, but... Belknap was not a president, and there's some serious constitutional arguing going on over whether or not a president can be impeached and tried after he's left office. Impeachment, remember, is not about punishment. It's not about discipline. It's about protecting the body politic from someone who is deemed to be a bad actor, someone who has broken the public trust. That's why the only remedies recognized in the impeachment clauses in the Constitution are removal from office to ensure the harm ends immediately. And disqualification from ever holding federal office in the future to ensure the bad actor will never be in a position to do such harm again by the time a trial takes place president trump will no longer be in office so it won't be about removing him from office because he will already have been removed simply because his term of office will have expired but what about the disqualification aspect the lifetime ban on ever holding federal office again oh and by the way Under Senate precedent, removal from office and disqualification to hold future office are two different things and require two different votes. The constitutional threshold requires a two-thirds majority to remove an office holder convicted in an impeachment trial. But the Constitution is silent on the threshold necessary to disqualify someone from holding office in the future, and the Senate precedent sets the threshold at a simple majority. Back to the question of whether or not a former president can be impeached and tried. There are some very smart people who come down on opposite sides of the argument. On the no, you cannot impeach a former president side or Alan Dershowitz, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, and former Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals Judge J. Michael Luddick, a well-known conservative favorite. Wrote Luddick in the Washington Post last week on the question of whether a former president can be impeached after he leaves office, quote, the Constitution itself answers this question clearly. No, he cannot be. Once Trump's term ends on January 20, Congress loses its constitutional authority to continue impeachment proceedings against him, even if the House has already approved articles of impeachment. The reason for this is found in the Constitution itself. Trump would no longer be incumbent in the office of the president at the time of the delayed Senate proceedings and would no longer be subject to impeachment conviction by the Senate under the Constitution's impeachment clauses, which is to say that the Senate's only power under the Constitution is to convict, or not, an incumbent president, end quote. On the other side, the yes, you can impeach a former president, you have the great liberal Harvard Law professor, Lawrence Tribe, who, writing in the very same Washington Post, says of Ludwig's argument, quote, with all respect, I disagree. The Constitution references impeachment in six places, but nowhere answers that precise question. Tribe notes that the Senate itself has decided that the two remedies outlined in the Constitution Removal from office and disqualification from holding future office are, quote, analytically distinct and linguistically divisible, end quote. Then goes on to note that, quote, the only court to address the issue agreed with the Senate that an impeachment trial could proceed even after the individual was no longer in office, unquote. Tribe concludes with this, quote, to render this uniquely appropriate remedy unavailable simply because the gravest abuses of power were committed near the very end of a president's term would be bizarre at best, self-sabotaging at worst. Nothing in the Constitution suggests that a president who has shown himself to be a deadly threat to our survival as a constitutional republic should be able to run out the clock on our ability to condemn his conduct and ensure that it can never recur, end quote. The Supreme Court has never ruled on this question, and I don't think the Supreme Court would like to rule on it. I imagine the Senate will determine for itself whether or not it believes it has the authority to try and impeach former president, and I'd be willing to bet a small amount of money that the Senate would, if pressed, decide that it does have the power to try a former president. You can find more about those arguments and others in the suggested reading. Now to the aftermath. In the aftermath of the Capitol riots, congressional Democrats are raising holy hell, threatening all kinds of retribution against anyone they think contributed to creating the environment in which violence could occur. On the Senate side, they're focusing on Republican Senators Josh Hawley of Missouri and Ted Cruz of Texas, both of whom declared before the January 6th joint session that they would object to the certification of electoral votes from certain states. Some Democrats have said the two should be expelled from the body. Some have even gone so far as to point to the text of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. This is important because that would flip the vote on its head. In order to expel a member of either, the House or the Senate, the rules say a two-thirds majority is necessary. But under the language of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, it requires a two-thirds majority to get a waiver to stay in the body. Here's the language in question, quote, No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state, To support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each House, remove such disability, end quote. This is a dangerous play the Democrats are considering. On the House side, there's a different dynamic at play. House Republican Conference Chairwoman Liz Cheney, the third-ranking Republican in the House and the daughter of the former vice president, voted to impeach President Trump. She was the highest ranking of the 10 House Republicans who broke ranks with their colleagues to vote to impeach the president. Not surprisingly, strong Trump supporters in the House Republican Conference are not at all happy with her vote and believe she should be removed from her leadership position because of it. House Freedom Caucus leaders Jim Jordan and Andy Biggs, among others, are demanding her removal. But House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, despite casting his own vote against impeachment, thinks Cheney should stay right where she is. Stay tuned on both fronts. And that's our Washington Report for this week.